Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today's Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, September 24th is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Ben, you have a song of the day request. It is from Frank. Frank is now our song of the day requester of the show. You're the man, Frank. Yeah, I think you'll know this one. Today's song, Down on the Corner by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Down on the corner, I'll be in the street. Willie and the Paw Boys, come on, D, sing along. No. I'm Dennis, I don't sing, I come from all. Now, wow, wow, wow. All right. Oh, I gotta shut the window. Hold on, D. Oh my goodness! Please shut the window. Hey, what's going on out there? Good to see you, huh? Ooh. Things okay with that porta potty? Oh, right. oh, action at the porta potty, huh? Yeah, it's just a couple guys waiting in line. You know, they waved. Yeah. How's, how's the podcast going? Oh, and real quick, yesterday you were bricking like crazy. Take one more shot here. One more jump shot. Here you go. Come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, damn. The Ben Jarofsky show starts now. <laughs> It is Thursday, September 24th, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Democratic 16th Congressional District Candidate, Danny Brozowski. And now your host, not a congressional district candidate, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Gail and Brianna Thursday. And here's why. Gail Sayers died a few days ago, age 77, dementia. All right, bear with me. No pun intended. Baby boomer reminiscence time. Come on, millennials. Just stick with me. It'll be worth the ride. Gail Sayers was one of the greatest football players ever. Perhaps the greatest runner I've ever seen. Had a unique style, like a dancer. Poetry in motion. Just danced through and around tackles. They called him the Kansas Comet because he came from Kansas. The papers today were filled with stories about him, including a beautifully written tribute. Got to give a shout out to Rick Morrissey. That guy is on a roll. Hey, Rick. He's written written some good columns uh, for my beloved Bright One. A very beautiful tribute by Rick Morrissey in today's Bright One. Uh, Comet dazzled all too briefly, a tribute to Gail Sayers. And let me read my favorite part because it turns out that Rick Morrissey, I thought he was a youngin. Turns out he may have been, he's more like me than I realize. Uh, He goes, quote, if you were a kid in the Chicago area in the 1960s, you pretended you were Ernie Banks, if you were a Cubs fan, Bobby Hull or Gail Sayers. Yes, indeed, Rick Morrissey, you are so right. 
As a kid growing up in Evanston in the 60s, late 60s, I could tell you I had many a fantasies about being Gail Sayers. Let me take it back in time. I'd be in front of the mirror, a football in my hand, and I'd be practicing my moves. Only I wasn't Gail Sayers. I was Benny Sayers. I don't know, but somehow and I, D, we kind of morphed into one thing, Gail and I, and, and that morphed up thing was better than the original. And also, yes, I was the announcer, Jack Brickhouse. So while I was running like Gail Sayers or Benny Sayers in the mirror, I'd be announcing the game. He'd be like, Benny Sayers, he breaks free. He's at the 15, the 20, the 25. And then from downstairs, Benny, it was my mother. Call me down to set the table. Hold on, ma. That was me calling back to stall for more time. 40, 50, 35. He's got open field. Later down at the kitchen table, my sister would be taunting me. You're so weird standing in front of a mirror with a football. Shut up. Now, children, you know, funny thing, I just like to say this. It prepared me for a fine, outstanding life standing in front of the mirror holding a football. D, I am now a podcaster, internationally famous podcaster, broadcasting from my attic overlooking a porta potty. So you see, D, there's something to be said for standing in front of a mirror holding a football, pretending you're Gail Sayers. Yes, internationally famous. <laughs> Somebody listens to our show in England. That's why I said that, D. Anyway, Gail Sayers had a roommate, a man named Brian Piccolo. Gail was black, Piccolo was white, but they were good friends. Brian Piccolo got cancer, and they turned their friendship and the sad story of Brian Piccolo's death into a movie called Brian's Song. Stay with me, millennials. Billy DeWilliams played Gail Sayers, and Jim Kahn played Piccolo, and I watched that movie, as did pretty much every football fan in America, including President Richard Nixon. And at the end of the movie, Billy DeWilliams, playing Gail, gets the George Hallis Courage Award for overcoming adversity. And at the banquet dinner where he accepts his award, he makes a speech about his good friend, Brian Piccolo, who's dying of cancer. And he says, quote, I love Brian Piccolo, and I'd like all of you to love him, too. And tonight, when you hit your knees, please ask God to love him. And as he spoke those words, D, I got to tell you, I hit my knees. I never prayed in my life, but I hit my knees. My mother walked to the room and said, why are you praying? And I'm like, he died, Ma. He died. Brian Piccolo died. Oh, to be so young and so innocent again. Needless to say, I love Gail Sayers, and I'm not alone. They quoted Mike Ditka in the paper. He played with Gail Sayers when uh, he, Ditka, played for the Bears. You know Ditka, the coach, uh, right-wing windbag, and uh, loves Donald Trump. Anyway, here was uh, Michael Dick Mike Ditka's quote in the paper. Quote, Sayers was a special guy. You never heard him say a word. He was quiet. He was humble. End of quote. Never heard him say a word. Unlike, of course, Colin Kaepernick and all those other outspoken modern-day football players who take a knee to protest police brutality, Mike Ditka hates them, wants to send them out of the country. The funny thing, Mike Ditka made a fortune uh, in commercials, and he got to say any old foolish right-wing thought that popped into his mind. But Gail Sayers somehow was a virtue that he never got to say anything at all. Anyway... Gail Sayers died the same day that the verdict came down in Louisville. Well, not the verdict, but the announcement by prosecutors that there would be no murder indictment in regards to the police who shot Breonna Taylor, shot her in her apartment while she was asleep, just burst through the door pretty much unannounced. I'm not sure how that's supposed to happen in America. Like, aren't there laws about that? Don't they have to knock and 
boldly announce themselves or show a warrant or something. Police said her old boyfriend was a drug dealer and they were looking for evidence. What kind of crime could he have committed to warrant that sort of late night guns blaring invasion? I do not know. The prosecutor said the shooting was warranted because Brianna Taylor's current boyfriend fired at them. The boyfriend said he didn't know that the intruders were police, thought they might have been the old boyfriend, and he fired because they were firing at him. He shot at them. They shot at him. So much shooting from one cop that they charged that police with three charges of wanton endangerment. Folks, I did not even know what that was until they charged him with it. Turns out the police officer was shooting so much that his shots went into the wall of a next door building. So he gets charged for wildly shooting into the wall, but he's not charged for shooting into Breonna Taylor. All that love for Gail Sayers, it's like a dream of an America that doesn't exist. So which America is it, folks? Is it the one that loves Gail Sayers because he's quiet and humble and never said a word? Or the one that hates the players who dare to say there's something wrong when police can kill a woman while she's sleeping in her home? We got a great show today, everybody. Danny B., Danny Brzezowski, a Democratic candidate for Congress in the 16th Congressional District. Uh, she's running against Adam Kinzinger. She's not afraid to stand up for uh, Democratic values and Democratic issues in a district that went for Trump. A lot of guts from Danny B. And uh, she'll be here at 2 o'clock talk about the campaign, talk about the upcoming debate, uh, talk about Donald John Trump and his bizarre comments that somehow or other he may not step down as president of the United States, even if he loses. And Trump has lost his freaking mind. But before we get to that, the young man from Alton, the man they call Dr. Doobie with the news. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. First up, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Today, the governor was in Carbondale, Illinois, to talk about the census. And as we speak, he's in Marion, Illinois to talk about the census. Pritzker held a COVID-19 press briefing on Wednesday. The big takeaway, the coronavirus is still here in Illinois and more people seem to be over it. Uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker warned Wednesday that the region of Northwest Illinois that includes Rockford and Northern Illinois University and borders Wisconsin and Iowa could soon see stricter rules after the region's 7.5% test positivity rate. The Northwest region's positivity rate rose to 7.5% from 6%, and Pritzker's administration scales back reopening when a region reaches or surpasses the state-set threshold of 8% positivity rate for three consecutive days. We have audio. Here's JB from Wednesday's COVID-19 press briefing. That said, one of our regions, Region 1 in Northern Illinois, which includes Rockford, Dixon, and Galena, has continued to climb toward the 8% threshold at a concerning rate, now sitting at a seven-day average of 7.5% as of today's data. But wait, there's more. After reaching a positivity rate as high as 10%, and despite bordering Missouri, which has a 12% positivity rate. Region 4 has brought its average down to 7.3%. Wow. So uh, that's Rockford he was talking about, right, D? Yeah. 
And as if you recall, the, there was a state rep from Rockford. I believe his name is Cabello, John Cabello. It wasn't he the one to file lawsuit. Oh, yeah. Recall, early in the uh, pandemic, uh, there were two Republican legislators who were leading the charge against J.B. Pritzker, saying he had gone too far, saying he was tyrannical. One, of course, uh, was this show's personal favorite Republican, Darren D.B. Bailey. Oh, you're uh, a personal favorite Republican. <laughs> it's going to be, hey, he's the face of the Republican Party right now. He's the brains of the Republican Party. And I'm calling it. I said, he's still, he's running for governor. All right, 2023, governor. he'll run for governor. DB, the state, the state moves, the Republican Party in the state of Illinois has moved so far to the right. That Darren Bailey will be uh, their leader in, uh, what would that be, D? 2022. Good God. Time is flying. Anyway, Cabello was the other one. He's a police officer in the Rockford area, and uh, he thought that Pritzker had gone too far. I believe he filed suit of his own, uh, saying that it was unwarranted, that we didn't need uh, all the social distancing, uh, that uh, the governor had extended his uh, legal authority. And uh, so now here we are. We discovered that there's a spike in Rockford. I don't know, D. The Republican Party has uh, lost its freaking mind when it comes to the pandemic. We've said that so many times in the show. It bears reminding again. And J.B. Pritzker, for all his flaws, we talked about him yesterday. We talked about the inconsistencies of J.B. Pritzker uh, on this particular issue with uh, his daughter and the uh, is the equestrian. Remember that, D? Oh, yeah. Yesterday. All right. So he's he's not perfect. He's not walk on water, JB, but at least he resides in the real world, whereas governor, he feels responsible for dealing with the pandemic, as opposed to DB and Johnny Cabello, who live in fantasy world. No masks needed. No social distancing required. There is no such, a, no such thing as the pandemic. It's a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese. And if somebody dies uh, from a corona, well, you know, let's just pretend it didn't happen and move on. So I'm not surprised that Rockford is hit hard uh, D, with that kind of leadership. Well, we're talking the North and the Northwest. And, you know, it's been going on since March. I don't know. I think people are just kind of getting burnout. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm sure they're not anti, they're not deniers or, you know, not uh, anti-maskers. I'm sure just a lot of people are just like, ah, whatever, just, you know, let's just stand around and talk and not, you know what I mean? It's, I don't think it's so much, uh, right? I just think we're, no. it's growing, it's, we're about, what, six months in on this thing? Yes, no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, there's some that, fatigue going on, right? Let me put it to you this way. When I think of the world uh, who, what's the best word that's like indifferent to the pandemic? They fall into all kinds of categories, and you're right. There's some people who don't really pay attention to news and think, hey, you know, I heard something about this. I don't really believe it. And they get, like, bits and pieces of information. So it's like, I know it affects old people. I'm young, so it doesn't affect me. And you could be liberal and have this attitude. Like, those are the people, like, jumping off. Uh, they flock to the beach, you know, to play volleyball or go swimming. Yeah, you're right. But then there's this other breed, and I think Capello and Big DB are in this category, and they're actually feeding misinformation. So they're like encouraging people uh, to not to take precautions. The most extreme case is the sheriff in Florida who ordered people not to wear a mask, ordered people not to wear a mask. So yes, you're absolutely correct, D. You have sort of different camps within this larger uh, 
pool of people who don't take it seriously. There are those who are not really paying attention or there are those who say, ah, I'm so tired of hearing about this. I want to go have fun. You know, girls just want to have fun type of crowd. Only boys and girls just want to have fun right. crowd. And then you got the people who are like, uh, Pritzker's making it up. Pritzker's a tyrant. And those are the people who are in court uh, trying to prevent Pritzker from cracking down. All right, so we'll uh, keep you covered here on all that info as today's program rolls along and uh, other programs roll along. We do have new updates on Madigan Gate. The time utility bigwigs ComEd admitted to arranging jobs, contracts, and payoffs to the associates of Democratic Illinois House Speaker one Michael Joseph Madigan. (laughs) Well, it's sort of a Madigan update. You see, ever since our Illinois Republican leaders began their pre-election, Madigan is bad investigative trial, but not really trial because Madigan hasn't been charged with anything yet, but they spent all this money putting Madigan's head on half of the Democratic candidates running the election, so why not double down with a month to go, do this fake trial thing, and get some media coverage? Ever since then, our Madigan Gate (laughs) updates, uh, well, they're more like political theater reviews. And Ben, the theater continues. You love the theater. I love the theater, and I love Madigan. It's one of my favorite Oh, my God, your worlds are colliding here. Uh, Because our protagonists in this piece, the Illinois Conservatives, and the Senate Republicans Caucus have now introduced a package of bills seeking to root out government corruption among members of the General Assembly. This comes from a recent press release. Uh, While Illinois already has some strong anti-corruption laws in place, Senate Republicans say many of them are rendered toothless because the appropriate authorities aren't given adequate ability to investigate wrongdoing. To address these shortcomings, the legislative package proposes the following enhancements. Senate Bill 4015. This bans legislators from lobbying other branches of state government or units of local government for compensation. We have Senate Bill 4016. This creates a revolving door legislator to lobbyist prohibition for one year after leaving office or until the end of the current term, whichever is longer. Senate Bill 4017. This prohibits a legislator from leaving office and continuing to use their campaign fund to support lobbying activities. This also prevents an appointee to a board or commission that is confirmed by the Senate from fundraising for or donating from their campaign committee while serving as an appointed public official. And finally, Senate Bill 4018. This (laughs) updates the statement of economic interests to enhance the disclosure of potential conflicts of interest. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts here. I'm for all of them. All right. Let's pass them right now, even though they're Republican introduced. CT, come on. Just because a Republican introduced it doesn't mean it's bad, right? Right? So I'm for them. Right. More transparency, more openness, clean up government. I'm, I'm absolutely for it. Uh, I particularly love that one where uh, you got to disclose who you're, who you're working for and uh, who your clients are. And uh, yeah, that, and the whole issue of revolving door, you're a legislator, then you're a lobbyist, you're a lobbyist and you're a legislator. Oh, I'm all, I'm all for more openness. <clears throat> I'll tell you right now, uh, corruption will exist uh, to a certain degree in Illinois and throughout the country, regardless of the law. It's already against the law to take a bribe. But guys are doing it. So it's not the law itself. 
that prevents people from doing. They, I guess they feel like, I don't know what, actually, I'm trying to put myself in the mind of like a, a, like a state rep or state senator or an alderman who does something blatantly corrupt, even though he or she knows that so many other people have gone to prison for doing the same thing. Like what makes them think they're going to get away with it? I don't know. I just think there's a certain amount of self-delusion that exists in the minds of legislators and senators. And then there's just also this envy. Everybody wants to be a player. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I want to be big time. You can lobbyists come around. They got these nice suits and nice watches and the state reps go, I want one. I want to look like him. So, you know, I mean, it's just, it, this is the sickness that seeps into their brains and takes over and gets them to do stupid things. So, yeah, pile on the laws, more laws uh, to prevent lawlessness. And look, Michael Joseph Madigan, I to this day do not know how the powers that be could have just looked the other way all those years when Michael Joseph Madigan and Ed Burke and John Cullerton had their property tax business. They're still going. Well, I think Burke may have closed uh, his down or uh, left his firm uh, since he got into trouble. But uh, the uh, the Madigan's firm is still going. Cullerton. And it's like, you know, we just put up with it. Well, that's just the way it is. And everybody's taking advantage of it. So if something good can come out of this moment, even if I don't believe ultimately uh, that the Republicans themselves are sincere about this, I mean, Republicans have been looking the other way while this has been going on for all these years. Uh, Republicans have been hiring Madigan and Burke. Donald Trump hired Ed uh, Burke to be his property tax lawyer. He got him millions of dollars worth of tax breaks thanks to his connections with Joe Berrios. Never heard a word of complaint about Donald Trump about Ed Burke. So they knew it was going on. They took part in it. And now now that they see that they could use it as a tool to bring down Madigan and maybe uh, bring down some Democrats, yeah, they're going to suddenly they find their inner Marty Oberman. Marty Oberman is a name from the long distant past that nobody remembers. He was a good government alderman from the north side of Chicago, prided himself uh, in good government. Later on, he became a Rahm Emanuel appointee to some entity. It's, I always say, Marty, what are you doing? Rahm Emanuel is not somebody you want to be uh, affiliated with in any way. But anyway, so if they want to uh, introduce good government legislation, I say here here. I just wish they practiced what they preached way back when, when they were hiring the Madigans and the Burks and the Cullertons of the world to get their property tax breaks. Go ahead, D. Oh, anything else you'd like to add here before we move on? No, that's it. I, uh, I applaud them uh, for introducing the legislation and I sneaker and sneer that I just don't think they're sincere in their hearts. But you know, I guess I can't worry about their motives so long as they're doing, quote unquote, the right thing. What will happen next in this investigative trial, but not really trial? I guess we'll have to find out in Act 2. We're still in Act 1 of our Republican political theater. All right, Ben. I got the car running. Old Betsy's warming up. We're going to be hitting the road shortly and meeting a couple of our candidates running in the upcoming Illinois general election with our segment meet the candidates. But before we do that, let's talk some city news. No public events scheduled for our Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. We've said it's time to bring in the light. And it's sure shining on all of us tonight. Let it shine. Let it shine. 
Let it shine. Ben, our good friend and your former sidekick, ProPublica writer Mick Dumkey, put out an interesting piece. Uh, it involves our Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot, and I figured, hey, why not talk about it? You know, he's our good friend. We'd like to support him and help him out here. The Dumkey headline reads, when is a meeting not a meeting and a lawmaker not a lawmaker? When it's Lori Lightfoot's Chicago. <laughs> Chicago's mayor held secretive calls with the city council and claimed they weren't, quote, public business. We asked the state, uh, state attorney general's office to review whether she and the council violated the Open Meetings Act. It's ruling, yes. Ben, I know you've read this piece. Uh, I have to make sure we got all of our snacks ready for our uh, road trip to meet the candidates. So you go ahead and take it from here, okay? Well, first of all, I want to give a shout out to the great Mick Dumkey, uh, old dear friend of mine. And if I could do a little shameless promotion, I urge absolutely everyone to check out the latest interview I did with Mick. Uh, a conversation, I should really call it, about football, where Mick announced that he is quitting. He is absolutely quitting. Uh, he will no longer be a football fan. Uh, and this means a lot coming from McDumkey because he's a die-hard football fan, grew up loving college football, is a season ticket holder with Northwestern, a Bear fan. He knew who Gale Slayers was. In fact, he, when he called me yesterday to chit-chat about this, that, and the other thing, uh, we frequently talk on the phone, uh, I had to admit that when he called, I was sitting there watching highlights, YouTube highlights of Gale Slayers which, of course, made him laugh. <laughs> what a geek I am. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Mick Dumkey is alluding to the meetings that uh, Lori Lightfoot has been holding, these virtual meetings uh, with Alderman. And we've talked about this uh, in the past, day. I don't know why. Uh, they aren't treated like regular city council meetings uh, with, you know, uh, posted in advance. So everybody knows about uh, what's going to what's going to be on the agenda, have an agenda posted uh, so people can follow along. So there's nothing secret about it. One of those meetings was, of course, the one one of our favorite ones of all time of all time, uh, where, of course, Ray Lowe, Raymond Lopez got engaged, uh, engaged with Lori Lightfoot uh, in uh, that exchange of words where we've been known to play that tape from time to time, D, uh, where uh, Ray Lowe uh, asked a question of Lori Lightfoot. She ignored him and she goes, I, and he said, I want an answer. Well, you, you know the response. I want uh, an answer. That, it's not uh, something you ignore. I think you're 100% Oh, shit, is what I think. If you think we want to fuck you, then. Oh, oh, okay. Break, break, break it up, okay? We have fun with that one. But see, here's the thing. This is what Alderman tell me, Dean. Get your thoughts on this. Alderman tell me that, Ben, you don't understand. We have to have uh, behind-the-scenes meetings that are not open to the public so we can air our feelings. Like, if the meetings are open to the public, then we know that people won't be honest or they'll be playing to the public or they'll be grandstanding. Uh, so we need these the privacy to exchange our ideas freely and openly. And, D, I've never bought into that. You know, if you if you want to exchange ideas that you'd be embarrassed uh, to have revealed to the public, you should just have a one on one conversation. And in the state of Illinois these days, more likely than not, that uh, conversation would be recorded, secretly be recorded. So it would emerge anyway, because a lot of times when you have these secret conversations, there's something shady going on. So this whole notion that somehow or other that, you know, people have to be free 
to give their advice uh, away from the public. I just think that's an excuse made up to conceal information from the public. This I go back to the legislation that the Republicans proposed. I believe in transparency and openness as much as possible. You know, and if you're embarrassed by the position you're taking, if you're worried that uh, one con- portion of your constituency will be upset to hear you speak openly about something that you've privately, that you've told them that you don't agree with, well, that's just the price you're going to pay. I remember someone telling me a story about Barack Obama many years ago when he was running for Senate. I was not there, so this is um, as told to story. And he was, my friend was telling me that Barack Obama was a Senate candidate speaking to a group of liberal Democrats uh, in Rogers Park. And the issue of gun control came up. And according to what my friend uh, told me, Barack Obama told them, and this was Senate candidate Barack Obama before he was president, he said, I'm with you on gun control, but I can't say that uh, publicly because there's a lot of people downstate who uh, really like their guns and they would be, they would turn against me. So just, I want you to know that I'm with you. And all those liberals from Rogers Park bought into it. They said, well, you know, we, we, we understand. He's got to say one thing publicly, even though privately he thinks something else. Uh, And so that's kind of like the notion that's embedded in the idea that you should have private meetings, and private conversations with large group of people. But I don't buy it. If Barack Obama is for gun control, should let the world know he's for gun control. You know, or he shouldn't. We shouldn't conceal public business in order to shelter you know, the uh, the private positions that politicians have. And this this excuse is used all the time, and it's used with freedom of information requests. So I remember people petitioning the Board of Education uh, for inside consultant reports or minutes of meetings or uh, uh, like any kind of email exchanges on a, an issue of the day and Uh, The response from the Board of Education would be, well, we can't publicize that information because it would reveal advice that was given to us by our advisors, our lawyers, our aides, and they would not feel free to give that advice if they knew it would be public. And I'm like, you know, I don't buy it, D. It should all be public. Because I'm a libertarian in that front. That's why, even though I despise what the Republicans are doing uh, by trying to defeat the Democrats and destroy unions in the state of Illinois, I have to stand with them with their transparency legislation. So I'm with Mick on on this story. I think that uh, the excuse, just you know, the public can't hear what we have to say. It's because we won't be free to give our opinions. I'm not buying that. Let's open it up. No more private meetings, Dean. All right, buddy. Nice job. Hey, I got chips. Hope you like uh, chips. Got some chips for our road trip here. Uh, where the magic number is now 40, guys. We're now 40 days away from Election Day. Yes, a little over a month until you either vote blue no matter who or instead vote red in the presidential and Illinois general election. And right now, more 2020 Illinois congressional race coverage. Like I said, we're going to be taking a road trip in just minutes, Ben, but we do have breaking news. It is time for a 2020 general election candidate update. 
This is a 2020 Illinois General Election Candidate Update. All right. <laughs> For the last few weeks, I've been talking about it. Jeannie Ives, where the hell's that new ad, huh? Ah, breaking news. Breaking okay, news. Yeah. We have the latest ad from 6th Congressional District Candidate, the Republican Jeannie Ives. Sean Caston has been putting out a series of ads, one that has a former Republican, well, he's a Republican now, but that doesn't really sound like it according to this commercial, uh, ripping Jeannie Ives and saying that he's going to be backing Sean Caston. We also have ones, uh, you know, talking about how he's a scientist. It says here this morning, Jeannie Ives released a new ad contrasting Sean Caston's record of self-dealing with her record of leading by example. The ad is entitled peanuts and i have it right here so let's go ahead and hear the latest ad from genie ives will she call sean Caston a hippie snowflake well i'm not sure literally this is breaking news so let's all find out genie ives peanuts while americans weathered tough times sean Caston put on wingtips to beg congress for a bailout now the shoes on the other foot Congressman Kasten makes 174 grand a year, which he calls peanuts. We need a leader like Jeannie Ives, who traded her army boots for heels to champion Illinois taxpayers in the statehouse, refusing taxpayer-funded health care and pensions, and never voting to raise taxes. Jeannie Ives for Congress. There it is. Peanuts! She, <laughs> she traded her army boots for heels. If I didn't know anything... I would say um, the Genie Ives for Congress campaign is Quentin Tarantino-like in its obsession with feet. Oh. Okay. If you recall, she had the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Take a walk in my shoes or something yeah, like yeah. that? And, it, and in the video, it shows a lot of feet. You know, this is one of Romana Hussein's favorite points about Quentin Tarantino. She comes on the show uh, every Friday, rips Quentin Tarantino. Hold on. This is Romana Hussein talking about Quentin Tarantino. Ripping Quentin Tarantino. Oh. <laughs> you forgot about that gag, auntie. Huh, I, 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 I did. I did. I did. One more time. This is, this is Romana Hussein talking about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, ripping Quentin Tarantino. Saying all the time, you know, it's got this obsession with, with feet. I'm going to ask. We're going to play that for Ramon on Friday because I think that uh, uh, Jeannie Ives shares that obsession that Quentin Tierno has uh, for feet. Because the second swapping the army boots for heels. Hmm. Okay. So uh, she's. But I think she had running shoes on in the last commercial. Am I correct, D? She uh-huh. was like running. So she put on. So now she's wearing army boots, heels, and running shoes. Quite an array of uh, bootery from Genie Ives. Genie Ives foot fetish, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what we're getting at here. Very interesting. Yeah, this is, by the way, a classic Republican uh, uh, campaign ad, and uh, I, you know, is it going to work? Uh, you know, D, I don't see it working. In the 6th Congressional District, except for with the people who are already going to vote for Jeannie Ives, you know, the, the Trumpsters, uh, who, I mean, they were just going to vote for her anyway. They can't stand Sean Cast and they can't stand anybody with a D next uh, to his or her name. So I'm not saying, I don't know how this is going to win over uh, swing voters uh, very much, unless they appreciate uh, shoes as much as Jeannie Ives does and share her fetish for feet, in which case... 
she's got that vote down, D, all right? <laughs> well, she's got boots, heels, and running shoes. Well, who knows what the next one's going to feature? Holy cow. Um, but it does seem like here with uh, the Genie Ives ad, once again, we're not seeing, uh, she's kind of not mentioning that she's uh, pro-Trump. Uh, we're oh, noticing yeah. that. And uh, she didn't call Sean Caston a liberal snowflake hippie, more like a liberal <laughs> snowflake yuppie, talking about uh, those fancy shoes that he likes to wear. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, you know, see, uh, we've. Uh, uh, th- this is a problem that Jeannie Ives is facing. She is one of the most conservative. Uh, legislators or was one of the most conservative legislators in the state, so conservative that she ran uh, against Bruce Rauner in the gubernatorial primary of 2018, Republican gubernatorial primary 2018, from the right. She ran at Rauner from the right. Rauner wasn't conservative enough. And now she's running uh, in a swing district. It, uh, it went for Hillary Clinton in 2016. So the Trump message, not really going to play well there. I mean, I know MAGA, there's some MAGA out there, a lot of MAGA out there. I would say maybe 45% of that district is hardcore MAGA, but you know, 45% is not going to win this election. So she's got to get over, she's got to get a majority and win those other voters. She's got to kind of distance herself from MAGA. So you're right, D. You know what? Instead of army boots, heels, or running shoes, she should put on some dancing shoes. That's what the shoes she should be wearing. Dance with me as I tap around maggot tree. <laughs> and then she could do like John, uh, John Travolta. Fever nut, fever nut, fever. Woo, yeah. All right. <laughs> Stop dancing and get your shoes on. Get your ass in the car. Hold on. Here we go. All right. Great. We're in the car now. Okay. Got, this is for the tolls. Because we don't have one of those little things you put on the window because we're too cheap or whatever. So we got toll money. All right, Dave? There you go. Okay, we get it. Put your seatbelt on and put on your mask. And judging how paranoid you've been lately, please put this helmet on. Let's go. It's time to meet the candidates. Whoa! Getting crazy. Hold on, Ben. Meet the candidates. Wait, I'm wearing a helmet? <laughs> All right, we're here. You can take the helmet off now. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, the helmet been, was uncomfortable. You've been anyway. really paranoid lately. Uh, now, for those who didn't know, there are 18 congressional districts in Illinois, and today we're visiting the very last one. Yes, we're in central and western Illinois and the counties of Adams, Brown, Cass, Hancock, Logan, Marshall, Mason, McDonough, Menard, Morgan Pike, Schuyler, Scott, and Woodford counties, as well as portions of McLean, Peoria, Sangamon, Stark, and Tazewell. We're in the 18th Congressional District, baby. And (laughs) we are here to meet our two candidates in the Congressional District race, incumbent Republican Darren LaHood and Democratic challenger George Petrilli. First, let's get to know the incumbent, Republican Darren LaHood. Uh, ben, before we go through uh, with his profile here, tell us what you know about LaHood. Anything at all? Well, I actually uh, know quite a bit about uh, Darren LaHood. And um, so let me just say this. Darren LaHood is the uh, son of Ray LaHood, who was the congressman from this area for many years uh, at the start of this century. And Ray LaHood, the big difference between a father and son 
Ray LaHood was the kind of Republican that Democrats love. This is like an ancient time in politics, long before Trump, when there really was uh, a blending of parties in certain areas. And so Republicans would cut deals with Democrats. Democrats would cut deals with Republicans. This, this is like a tradition in Illinois politics. Jim Edgar, the former governor. Jim Thompson, the former governor. Both Republicans. George Ryan, the former governor of all Republicans, uh, prided themselves on their ability to work across the aisle. Uh, and so it's not like it is today where it's like everybody's at each other's throat. Uh, so Ray LaHood was the kind of Republican that prided himself on working with Democrats. And as such, he was the kind of Republican that Democrats loved. And boy, I'm about to talk about ancient history. So when a Democratic president took office, and even Nixon, this is true with Republican presidents, they always felt compelled to pick one person from the other party for their cabinet, just to show that they were bipartisan. But they couldn't have too important a position dedicated to uh, the other party. So uh, it would have to be like lower down, you know what I mean, on the hierarchy of cabinet positions. So uh, when Barack Obama got, uh, do you notice how I started doing my Barack Obama? Barack Obama? That's pretty good. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, it was uh, elected president. He chose uh, Ray LaHood, the former uh, congressman from this area, to be his secretary of transportation. And uh, I think he served for, I want to say, for at least the first term, if not beyond that. And again, he would be the person that whether there was any kind of uh, huge expenditure of public monies for capital projects, dealing with roads, highways, et cetera, and so forth. Ray LaHood, airports, he would be the one that would announce that Rom loved. See, Rom was another one who wanted to pretend like there was uh, Mayor Rom, wanted to pretend like there was, uh, you know, he doesn't say how he felt compelled, the old journals, uh, Mayor Rom, like as opposed to any other Rom in the world. You know what I'm saying? That's that old journalist, uh, Rahm Emanuel, comma, who was mayor of the city of Chicago from 2011 to 2019. Anyway, uh, Mayor Rahm would bring out LaHood and, you know, any kind of O'Hare function. Uh, it's just, we're working with Republicans. That's the kind of mayor I am. We work with Republicans. Uh, it's really hard to do that in the age of Trump, where Donald Trump is just like a, openly hostile to the city of Chicago and its mayor. So it's really you don't hear a lot of that anymore. And uh, but yeah, this is the way it was. So Ray was more or less a moderate. Well, moderates don't exist anymore. And uh, his son, Darren, is not only uh, a conservative MAGA hat wearing uh, Republican, but I think he's the co-chair of Trump's campaign in the state of Illinois. And daddy. Ray LaHood, follow me on this, folks, is supporting Joe Biden. Think about that Thanksgiving dinner, huh, D? Huh? Huh? Uh, pass the turkey, you mother beep, you hippie snowflake. That's son talking to Dad. It's like that TV show. What's that TV show again, D? Oh. Michael J. Fox. Family uh, Ties. Family Ties. Thank you, D. Michael J. Fox was the conservative son, and he had the hippie parents. And so if they were doing a show about reality show of the hoods, it would be, you know, Darren would be wearing a little MAGA hat, and Ray would have a Biden button, Biden or bust. And then they would sit down and have a fight. So that's how much the Republican Party has changed. Uh, Daddy was a moderate that got along with Democrats. Uh, and uh, Baby LaHood is uh, a proud wearer of the MAGA hat. In fact, D, I saw this picture. This picture of a, of a Darren LaHood rally. 
and uh, there was um, a gentleman standing there behind uh, Darren LaHood. This is not Darren LaHood, but it was a man standing behind uh, Darren LaHood, and he had a sign, and on the sign was a hammer and sickle, which is the, the symbol for the Soviet Union, communism. And the science said something like, no more socialism. Well, socialism is different than communism, but whatever. I mean, you know, millennials don't know their history anyway. And he's just appealing to millennial MAGA hat wearers. But I'm like, wow, that's how far we've come in the LaHood family. Uh, Darren LaHood is hanging out with people who have waving signs with a hammer and sickle on it. Talk about red baiting, bizarre red baiting coming. When you think about it, that Donald Trump, the head of the Republican Party, the MAGA in the MAGA uh, is best pals with Putin and wouldn't even be president of the United States without the assistance of Putin, who, by the way, was a KGB official back in the days of communism. But, you know, details, 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 D. Can't get tripped up on them, right? So, anyway, that's that's the Darren LaHood and Daddy Ray LaHood. Okay, Darren LaHood, I know we're meeting you for the first time here, and I know our host was saying a lot of possibly bad things about your family, but look, all right, you seem like a good guy. Let's get to know Darren LaHood here. Uh, what? Not getting off on the right foot here. According to his campaign website, Darren LaHood is a central Illinois native, and he's a dedicated family man, a community volunteer, and a committed public servant. Born and raised in Peoria, Darren attended Spalding Institute Academy of Our Lady High School before graduating from Loris College with a BA and earning his JD from John Marshall Law School. As a member of Congress, LaHood continues to focus on common sense approaches to spending and cutting waste in ways that expand economic opportunity for all Americans. Representative LaHood serves at, well, you thought that was funny? I just think it's funny listening to their official uh, rendition of who Darren LaHood is and then my rendition of who Darren LaHood is. Any mention of the guy with the hammer and sickle in this anywhere, D? Let me look. Hammer and sickle. No, but it does say the representative LaHood serves as a member of the Committee on Ways and Means, the oldest committee of the United States Congress and the chief tax writing committee in the House of Representatives. Before his legislative service, LaHood served nearly a decade as state and federal prosecutor, specializing in narcotics and felony prosecutions, and five years as an assistant United States attorney in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, okay, we have an issue. It's rare to see uh, an Illinois conservative have campaign issues on their website. So let's go ahead and read that. Healthcare. According to LaHood, uh, he says, I believe that Obamacare has been a disaster. We have wow. seen the negative effects of its policies on families and businesses, big and small. It is vital. We repeal and replace Obamacare with a patient-centered market-based approach to the delivery of healthcare as it is vital to give people a true choice in healthcare and a policy that ensures neither businesses nor government is saddled with a program that overreaches and we do have audio of mr lahood here's a piece from a recent darren lahood radio interview ben uh with wmay 970 am springfield and host greg bishop this was about a month ago here is lahood talking unemployment during the pandemic 
Lahood, good morning to you. And uh, first off, obviously, uh, a lot of going down in Washington about the unemployment benefits being extended and uh, what the next stimulus package is going to look like. Uh, we've seen a little bit of indication as a starting point from uh, from Senator Mitch McConnell or, or Senate Leader Mitch McConnell. You know what what can we expect to see passed out of the House and Senate? Well, good morning. Good to be with you and your listeners today. Um, We are working on the next stimulus package, but a couple things that are important from my perspective. One is we got to fix the unemployment insurance. We cannot have people staying home, uh, getting $600 a week to not work. In in downstate Illinois, in the district that I represent, we are essentially incentivizing people not to come back to work. It's probably the number one issue I hear from employers, whether it's a landscaping business or a beauty salon or a manufacturing company or a restaurant or bar. They can't get people to come back to work because they're getting $600 to stay home. We have to fix that. So our proposal is looking at capping that at maybe around $200 or $300 or 70% of what you were making before. We think that's a fair way to do that and get people back into the workforce. That's number one. Number two, I do think... Yeah, we don't want to hear number two. Wow. Yeah, we don't want to hear number two. Number one was so dreadful. By the way, just the rescind and replace of the health care is such a joke. If there's anybody out there in the 18th Congressional District, they just want to get rid of Obamacare because it's Obamacare. They never thought through to come up with what they're going to replace, just so you know that. You know, some guy out in the 18th Congressional, yes, let's replace it. With what? They had no replacement. They never had a replacement. The replacement is to go back to what was. What was meant if you didn't have insurance, you were freaking screwed. What was is like, well, God, what is? I mean, so much of our paycheck now gets dedicated to paying for health insurance. Our health our health insurance system in our country is insane. And so we have this one little shred of an attempt to provide some sanity to the system. And because Barack Obama was the one who introduced it, he wants to get rid of it. And that's so it just illustrates the point I made at the top of the show, the dis- difference between daddy LaHood and baby LaHood in the difference between the Republican Party that existed 20 years ago and MAGA hat, which exists right now, which is the Republican Party. Republican Party right now, daddy LaHood was in Obama's administration when they created Obamacare. Baby LaHood wants to get rid of it and replace it with nothing. So they just had to deal with that. The second point Wow, this this has said a lot that somehow or other the six hundred dollars that kept people afloat for uh, so long during the uh, stages of the pandemic when the economy shut down or the economy was shut down by the virus somehow or other that's an incentive that keeps people from going to work. And I'm like, I'm watching these. They, they it's like two ways on this one. Like on one hand, you have the restaurant industry. And I, I'm, I sympathize with them, you know, really complaining about the restrictions that have shut them down and have hampered their ability uh, to make a living, you know, and saying, let go of the restrictions uh, so we can reopen because we've had to lay off people. We have people, good people who work for us and now are out of jobs. So when, when they need to argue that these restrictions have hurt people, it's like good people have lost their jobs and they can't get work because you, Governor Pritzker, have instituted these restrictions that have hurt the restaurant industry. 
And then when they want to argue against a stimulus bill, they'll say, well, our friends in the restaurant industry tell us that people would just rather stay at home than go to work. We can't fill the slots. We can't hire, can't find people to be waiters and waitresses and bartenders because they'd rather stay at home and cash those checks and watch. I don't know, D, I need help. What's a good TV show that's on in the middle of the day? No, because they want to stay home and cash your checks and listen to the Ben Jarofsky show. There you go. <laughs> Both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. That's what they're doing. They're sitting around smoking doobies, cashing those $600 checks, and listen to Dr. D. <laughs> That's what they're doing. So which one is it, LaHood? Make up your mind. Is Governor Pritzker a tyrant who's destroying industry, uh, businesses in the state of Illinois, and putting good people out of work who are dying to work? Or a congressman, Democratic congressman, uh, in Washington, incentivizing laziness. Make up your mind. It's got to be one or the other. Come on, MAGA. Get it together. Come on, LaHood. It was nice meeting you. Okay. Now <laughs> on to LaHood's Democratic yeah. challenger, Ben. <laughs> Let's meet George Petrilli. According to Petrilli's website and his about page, George Petrilli is a practicing attorney, born and raised in central Illinois. He attended the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign and law school at Southern Illinois University. Together with his wife, Casey, a native of Houston, Texas, they are raising their two-year-old son, Teddy, in spring field. George and his family understand how great life can be raising a family in central Illinois, but also know that we need to address the growing challenges we face to preserve our way of life for our children and grandchildren. George is ready to help solve these growing problems to ensure happiness and success for future generations. Petrilli has two big issues on his plate and two on his website. Quality health care as a human right saying for-profit health care will always be inadequate and mental health services for our heroes. PTSD and depression treatment from children to veterans. Not much else really on his page, but I did find some George Petrilli audio. Here's Petrilli from three weeks ago on a Farming Town Hall YouTube live stream. He's talking infrastructure improvements and the weight of vehicles after crop harvesting. <laughs> Here we go. There's a lot of weight that comes over those bridges mm -hmm. and roads. And it's certainly, as we see right now, the infrastructure all across America, but especially in rural areas, really needs to be addressed because not having that that infrastructure and not being able to utilize the transportation of all of those things really affects the food uh, the essentially the, uh, the the food trade throughout the, the country so um, right on a federal level we need to make sure that all those roads are invested in those infrastructure and mm -hmm. one is you know to bring some jobs back to those rural areas and road building and, and in maintenance of, of bridges and infrastructure a right. policy that addresses that that provides adequate transportation needs to the agriculture community also can begin to boost those communities as well by providing jobs and there's there's badly i mean if people have ever been out on some of the country roads i mean there's it's there's badly needed improvement in infrastructure mm -hmm. that goes mm -hmm. on and we need to make sure that we continue to invest in that from the federal level knowing that that's not just a local issue because what comes out of these areas Areas is a global, you know, it's a global benefit for our GDP, but also for the food supply. Um, we need to make sure that all of those things are, are continuing to be maintenance and, and are to the level that the farmers need them to be. Well, hey, he sounds right. like a nice guy, huh? 
Yes. Sounds like a nice young man. Uh, do you have a confession to make? What? Kind of embarrassed to make this confession. But I'm going to make the confession anyway. You ready? Yeah. For my confession. I don't really know anything about George Bertilli. In fact, D, this is really embarrassing because I know I'm supposed to know absolutely everything about everything in politics. Although the reality is without Frank, I wouldn't know a lot of things. He's sending me uh, emails correcting me. But uh, I knew nothing about George Pertilli until you told me that we were going to take this trip. Yeah, I know. And hey, I, we're just meeting him. You're saying his last name wrong. It's Petrilli. What did I say? I've been saying Petrilli. You said like Patilli or something. Just, you know. No, I've been saying Petrilli. Come on, I haven't screwed up his last name. I'm literally reading it. I know how to read. I mean, I know about the guy, but I know how to read. I learned reading at Nichols Junior High at Evanston. Do you? Okay, I'll just tell you that, okay? So I don't know much about George Pertilli, I must confess. And part of the reason I don't know much about George Bertilli is that there was not a, uh, a contest, uh, a Democratic primary, a contested Democratic primary. And look, most people are working from the assumption that Darren LaHood is a slam dunk. Uh, Republicans have dominated that. Here you go, D. Let's do 18th Congressional District trivia. Oh, wow. Uh, who was the congressman of this district before Darren LaHood? Um, um. Um, <laughs> Ice Cube. Um, that one guy. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know that unbelievable. His knowledge of politics, ladies and gentlemen. That one guy. Uh, he's obviously Lou Lang. To Aaron, who? Lou Lang. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, Lou Lang. Stay right. I know the players in the game, Benny. Um, Aaron Shock was his name. Aaron Schock, he was the guy who got in trouble for some kind of campaign uh, financing scheme where I'm doing this off the top of my head. He was taking campaign dollars and spending on private things like, I don't know, lavish trips and that kind of stuff. Uh, and he's also the guy, uh, as I take this trip down a memory lane, Aaron Schock, who uh, consistently opposed LGBTQ uh, rights legislation. And then it turned out, D, guess what? He's gay. Oh, isn't that embarrassing? Well, you know, that's like going back to the previous discussion where politicians don't want you to know what they really think. I mean, this is like really in that. Again, um, I don't know if my uh, my constituents are ready for this. So what I'll do is I'll conceal uh, my sexual identity uh, from them uh, and vote against LGBTQ rights legislation so they really think I'm one of them. I mean, some weird twisted stuff. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, the point is Aaron Schock was the uh, former congressman. He was a Republican. And when he had a step down, there was a special election and Baby LaHood clobbered the opposition. And he's, Baby LaHood wins every time out with over 60 percent of the vote. So the Democrats are like, eh, eh, we're not going to win this one anyway. But they have to put somebody up. So they put George Petrilli up. And so that's why, D, I must confess, because there was no contested Democratic primary. You get what I'm saying? I didn't get the emails and then follow it in Rich Miller's uh, blog or um you know, uh, political, etc., and so forth. So I must make a confession, D. I don't know about George Petrilli, uh, but I know that. Sound like a nice young man? 
So vote for him, okay, D? There we go. End of that. A little boring, but yeah, he seemed nice. It's our Democratic 18th Congressional District candidate, George Protrilli. All right, we're running late. We got an interview, Ben. Get your ass in the car. Okay. All right, we're in. Wait, where's my helmet? We got to go, and that was Meet the Candidates. Oh, get your helmet later. Meet the Candidates. Hold on, D. I got All right, we're back. Tolls. Hold on, here we're, we go. Money we passed the tolls. the tolls. We're back. Oh, we're back. Oh, wow. <laughs> you must have. Oh, we're gonna get tickets in the mail because you just drove through those tolls. I'm like Burt Reynolds in this bad boy. Oh, I love Burt Reynolds. All right, don't Come go anywhere, everybody. Remember, you can find us at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send us an email, Benny J Show at gmail.com. And you can call us, 708 658 4788. That number again, 708 658 4788. Call the Ben Jarofsky Show. Find us on social media. Send us an email. Do all three. I dare you. Our Meet the Candidates uh, segment continues, I guess, here. We're going to be talking with the 16th Congressional District candidate, the Democrat, Dan Brzezowski. So don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment in his attic. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Rediscover our fascinating city this summer on a walking tour from the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Our entertaining and expertly trained docents will guide you through the Chicago you've been longing to explore, from magnificent downtown architecture to awe-inspiring neighborhood gems. If it's worth seeing, we'll take you there. Get tickets at architecture.org forward slash tours. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. I've been talking about this interview for a while. Danny B, I call her. Danny Brasowski is her real name. Uh, she's a Democrat running for Congress in the 16th Congressional District, and she's been our show a couple of times, I want to say. Back in the old days, Danny B uh, actually came to our beloved little studio at the Sun-Times, and now, uh, Danny, here we are in a pandemic. I'm stuck in my attic, and I don't know where you are, but welcome back to the show. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing pretty well today. I cannot complain. Uh, I have a whole list of things I want to talk to you about. You're running against Adam Kinzinger uh, in the 16th Congressional District. But before I do that, let's take a moment uh, to just reintroduce yourself uh, to our listeners and explain where the district is. So many of our listeners are from the immediate Chicago areas, and many of them are out of Illinois altogether. So why don't you tell them who Danny Brzezinski is and where the 16th Congressional District is? Sure, delighted to. So Danny Trozowski, the district is Illinois 16, so it's a big one just west of the Chicago suburbs. 
This is actually the last remaining Republican district in Northern Illinois, currently held by Republican incumbent Adam Kinzinger. Uh, Kinzinger has been in office for about 10 years. My family has lived here in this big district since the late 90s. So my dad was in the army for 25 years as a Gulf War veteran, and we moved here when he was put on recruiting duty and have been here ever since. You know, for me, in that moment of transition from the army bases on which I'd grown up to the civilian community, a town of 10,000 people in the middle of Northern Illinois, I looked for what was similar. And what I found was the strongest set of commonality was really in the strength of the sense of community. It's something that I understood from the time I was very young, was deeply important to my family, became increasingly important to me as I got older. And that sense of community has really been the driving force behind a career spent largely in nonprofits and as a small business owner. I've been a community leader for a long time and decided to run for Congress because my family is one of those military families who subsisted on food stamps. I grew up poor. We lived in trailers and houses that we couldn't afford to heat. And as I made a career out of helping other people and trying to lift my community up, I saw that the things that had been difficult for us were getting harder for other families. Not, And unfortunately, with our current representation, it's been getting harder still. Um, Adam Kinzinger votes time and time again against the better interest of my friends, family, and neighbors. He's voted time and time again to make it harder for working folks just to get by. And so I decided to run for Congress to give us all the kind of fighting chance we deserve and the kind of representation who's going to make sure we get it. District includes Rockford, DeKalb County, a chunk of Will County, which many of your listeners are probably aware is, uh, you know, one of the collar counties um, and sweeps around. It touches both the Wisconsin and the Indiana borders. It was designed that way. Um, but we've got a really great shot at taking Kinsinger out this fall, and I am really looking forward to doing so. All right. Uh, since you mentioned uh, your your father's uh, military service uh, and your connection to the military, let's just briefly talk about uh, Donald Trump, Donald John Trump, president of the United States, his losers and sucker comment, uh, which so much happens, Danny, uh, in the news cycle with Trump. Things get forgotten awfully fast. I've not forgotten that. I talked extensively about that uh, on the, this show. I imagine Adam Kinzinger is ducking and dodging big time, put on his John Travolta dancing shoes on this one because uh, his base is MAGA, and he cannot go deviate too far from the MAGA line. He cannot dare to criticize uh, Donald John Trump. Uh, at the same point time, uh, he doesn't want to insult people uh, in uniform. So I saw his comments uh, where he said, well, you know, it's either the most heinous hit job on a president in the world or it's the most heinous comments by a president. Well, what? What's, you know, talk about ducking and dodging, Danny. Take it away. Uh, yeah. What's your reaction to Donald Trump's comments and to uh, uh, Kinzinger's uh, ducking and dodging? Yeah, it's really disappointing. It's disgusting, right? So I'm with you, Ben. I think, you know, my dad, like I said, he's a Gulf War veteran. He was in the service for 25 years, and my dad's whole family were in the armed forces, largely in the Army. Um, it's particularly disappointing to see Kinzinger not take a firmer stance condemning these comments, because Kinzinger himself has some military background, right? He serves in the Air National Guard. And I, I look at people like my dad and all of the soldiers that I grew up around, the soldiers I grew up with when I was a kid, and I love the way they rely on one another, right? The way they, they really, that sense of community that I talked about at the top is something that really is critical in a military environment. You have to be able to rely on, rely on other people, not just for, you know, some sort of lofty ideal of a, a you know, a safety net, right? Of a support network. Uh, but you rely on those people to make sure that you stay alive. 
And for Kinzinger to not wholly condemn President Trump, a reminder that part of the job of the president is to serve as the commander in chief for our armed forces. And for Kinzinger to not take a firmer stance against those comments is, I think, really disappointing and really insulting to all of our veterans and all of our servicemen and women who, you know, make a make a real concerted effort to continue to uphold their oath of service, um, despite the fact that their commander in chief is making comments against them. Part of the reason I think uh, Kinsinger is so uh, reluctant to to make any kind of critical comments about Donald Trump uh, is that the district went for Trump, as I recall, in 2016. I can't remember off the top of my head, Danny, what the breakdown was, but I know that Donald Trump won a majority of the vote in the 16th congressional uh, district. So you're running as a Democrat. What kind of challenges is it uh, to run as a Democrat in a district that went for Donald Trump? Yeah, so it's an interesting question, Ben. Um, and, you know, the truth is that I'm not running against President Trump. And the Trump question comes up more lately as we see gaffe after gaffe. Um, but for a long time, it wasn't coming up much at all. It was coming up specifically, you know, with regard to the president's response to the pandemic. You know, the real the, the real sort of meat of this question, I think, gets at something that I'm really comfortable talking about. And that's civil discourse. People in this district are hungry. They don't have jobs and they don't have prospects for getting the kind of jobs that put food on the table. We're in a district where our unemployment rate has been persistently higher than the national average. It has been uh, upwards of 50% higher than the national average just over the course of the pandemic. There are still pockets of Illinois 16 where unemployment is around 30%. People here are struggling and they're suffering and they are hungry for the kind of leadership that listens to them, that responds to their needs, and that's willing to advocate on their behalf. Now, President Trump's success here in 2016, and I don't mean to suggest that racism isn't a factor. It absolutely is. Um, But I think by and large, in districts like this one, it wasn't President Trump's willingness to lean into racism that earned him the votes of so many people in Illinois 16. It was a willingness to stand up to a political system that the electorate here in this district and districts just like it all over the country understand that there is a political system that works against us, not for us. They know that to be true. They are not wrong. They are absolutely correct that we have designed a political system that pits the interests of working people against the interests of corporations and their wealthy CEOs. And I think in Illinois 16, people are tired of it. People recognize that they have been kept down by a system that has been working against them for literally decades. And though President Trump has not held up those promises, of course, to prop up the working class in the way he talked about doing he did talk directly to those people. He talked about he talked to the working families in districts like mine. And I think that's unusual for a politician. I think it's something that, frankly, is a is a similarity here between me and President Trump. And I can assure you there are a few similarities. <laughs> um, but this is one of them. Yeah. I think that willingness to sort of roll up your sleeves and and have to speak directly to the issues pertaining to working families. All right. All right. Uh, uh, so if so you want to uh, sort of win back those families whose economic interests are not being represented by the Republican Party. In fact, their vote for the Republican Party is a vote against their own economic interests. What is the appeal that you make? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think the first is that, you know, reminder that I'm running against Adam Kinzinger and there is almost no one on earth who represents so clearly the sort of corporate Republican establishment than someone like Adam Kinzinger. He is sitting on a multi-million dollar war chest. It is funded almost entirely by wealthy conservative donors and, you know, and corporate PACs. 
Um, and this is illustrated by a voting record that always favors the ultra wealthy and corporations. You know, something like Big Pharma. So a bill came up to cap prescription drug costs and Kinzinger voted against it. And you might wonder how that could be the case. You know, there's overwhelming evidence that people in the United States of America and this district specifically aren't just worried about the rising cost of prescription drugs, but they're scared. It keeps them up at night. Kinzinger knows this. He wouldn't be surprised to hear us talking about this. And so you might wonder, how could Kinzinger vote against capping prescription drug costs? And then you look at his campaign coffers and see that they're filled by the likes of Big Pharma over the course of Kinzinger's career in Congress. Upwards of $300,000 contributed to Kinzinger's campaign by Big Pharma. He's not beholden to the interests of the people of this district. He's beholden to his corporate donors. And I think pointing that out is really critical. The other thing that I would say, Ben, is that people are responsive to leadership that shows up for them. And Kinzinger doesn't do that. He's got a a reputation for absenteeism that I think persists well beyond the district. I think people, you know, they call him absent Adam for a reason. Um, and I think from, from my perspective, one of the ways that we connect with those voters who maybe on a you know sort of political ideological spectrum differ, I think one of the ways that we connect with them is in the authenticity, right? Meeting people where they are, having open, honest conversations, the truth is, Ben, you're not going to agree with anyone 100%, right? We've all got, you know, if you've got a spouse, you've got a different <laughs> tube of toothpaste, right? Because you're not going to agree with anyone 100% of the time. And I think what voters know that they're getting with me, and I find this so incredibly humbling, is they know that when they elect me to Congress, even if we disagree on the solutions to our problems, number one, we agree on what those problems are. Kinsinger cannot say that. He has no idea what the problems of the people of this district face. And number two, they know that they can trust me to do exactly what I believe in my heart of hearts is going to be in their best interests. And that is something that I think is a restoration of faith in our democracy that is desperately needed right now. Uh, it's funny you should say that tube of toothpaste, just in a brief uh, tangent, really brief. There are at least three tubes of toothpaste uh, in the cabinet. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, a bitter disagreement over which is the best one. I just had a smile when you said that. All right. Hey, when, when I listen to you talk that way, it reminds me so much of Sean Kasson when he was running against Peter Roscom back in 2018, Lauren Underwood, uh, many, uh, when she was running against Randy Holtzgren, many of the same, uh, pounding the same themes about absentee Republican uh, congressmen. It seems like there's an arrogance that's a take seems out of that sentence. Let me start that sentence. There is an arrogance. This is me speaking, not Danny B. There is an arrogance on the part of Republican congressmen who've been in Congress for too long uh, and they think it's just entitled to them and they just can just uh, wed themselves to MAGA and they'll just keep getting reelected. We, it didn't work uh, for uh, Roscombe or Holkman in 2018. Do you get inspiration when you look at the campaigns of Sean Caston and Lauren Underwood? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I am friendly with both Lauren Underwood and Sean Caston and, you know, endorsed by both. Lauren Underwood and I have actually become really close over the course of this campaign. And I look to their success in 2018. I look at the way they were able to mobilize voters, the way that we were able to get people really excited about their campaigns. Um, and, and I look at you're exactly right, Ben. I look at the failures of their Republican opponents during the last cycle, and it becomes very obvious that there's a there's a clear path here. And it's been that it's been the case since the outset of this race that there was a clear path to victory for us as the as the Democrats, as the kind of accessible, passionate, 
working families messaging Democrats that we are, um, it's been clear from the outset of the race that there has always been a path for victory for us. And over the course of the past couple of months, it's become clearer than ever that people are on our side, that the electorate here in this district is excited about the prospect of having the kind of representation that shows up. Um, and I find that incredibly humbling. And it's absolutely inspired by, you know, the work that is the work that's being done by my future colleagues in the House. All right. Uh, uh, before we get into uh, some of the the tactics uh, that you will be using that will help you, uh, in your humble opinion, uh, be elected, let's talk about some of the issues right now in everybody's face uh, and get your thoughts on them. First, uh, obviously, the pandemic the response to the pandemic. Uh, before you came on the show, we were noting uh, that your district includes uh, the, the state house seat of a gentleman named John Cabello, a Republican, uh, who was one of the people who sued uh, Pritzker, said he went too far uh, in terms of trying to protect the citizens of Illinois um, from the virus. Uh, in general, how is the virus playing as an issue uh, in your district? Yeah, I mean, I think it's top of mind for the overwhelming majority of voters in Illinois 16. You know, let's let's so let's put the facts out there, right? Pandemic arrived in this country. President Trump failed to take the kind of swift action necessary to address that pandemic. And so we were starting at a disadvantage. By the time Congress was in a position to really do anything, provide relief for the people of the United States of America, number one, that relief was necessary. Um, we're talking about a, a mortality rate that's been 5%, which I might remind you is exactly what the experts predicted it would be. 200,000 people who died unnecessarily, that's 200,000 lives we could have saved and an economy that remains closed. And though I have, you know, I've seen the Pritzker suck signs, I know that there are some who might suggest that the economy is closed because Democrats have done us dirty. The truth is that Democrats have protected us when the federal government failed to do so. Pritzker protected us when Trump failed to do so, when people like Adam Kinzinger failed to take care of the people of this district. The governor was there to ensure that our, our very basic needs were met, that our safety was being taken into consideration. You know, we need we need more help. You know, people, like I said, are hungry and don't have jobs and we don't have prospects for those things. And what we see instead is this gridlock in Congress where, you know, everyone is still voting with their party, despite the fact that this is the kind of crisis we pay taxes for. People pay taxes into the federal government, a portion of their hard earned income so that when worse comes to worse, the government will be there to ensure that our very basic needs are met. Well, listen, worse came to worse and the government was nowhere to be found. Adam Kinzinger was not here in the district. He was out on Twitter, hashtag China hid the virus. And I'm not saying China did anything good, right? I have no interest in, in propping up China. That's not the case at all. But what I do have an interest in is our federal legislature taking responsibility for their action, or in the case of Adam Kinzinger, their inaction. It is an absolute disgrace. That's not what representation is. It's not what representation should be. And after November, that's not what representation in this district is going to look like. All right. I give you credit for uh everything you just said because i know those spritzker suck signs uh they're not just in your district but they're in, throughout downstate uh that's the republican party's uh attack counterattack on this issue uh, and that's what they're hoping uh to uh, ride to victory with the other big issue of course of the day uh rbg uh, bader ginsburg uh and the vacancy created when she died the supreme court vacancy obviously you're running for congress so you're not going to get a vote uh, neither does adam kinzinger uh, get a vote on appointing uh, a new Supreme Court justice. But uh, just talk about that issue. What's your views on whether it should be filled or held off until after the election? Yeah, so I, I want to start by saying, you know, RBG was a hero of mine, as for so many of us, I think, 
you know, she was a titan of justice and she stood as a, a champion for the voices of marginalized people all over for women and for queer folks and immigrants. And I think, you know, the, the, um, the, what I've been using to sort of describe it is she felt for me, like the finger in the dam holding back this country's worst impulses felt in some ways. And on some days, like RBG was, was the person standing between us and the failure of our democracy. And her loss feels incredibly devastating, right? It feels like such a significant blow for so many of us. And so I spent Friday when I got the news, was very upset. And Saturday got back to work because her legacy is the progress for which she fought so doggedly and so passionately for such a long time. And it's to each and every one of us to take up that progress and carry it forward and to ensure that it's not undone. And we do that via the, the work that I'm doing and the work that, that you're doing, Ben. We do that via pushing the interests of our democracy forward and forward and forward again. And so I feel a, a great, um, not just a burden of responsibility, but an opportunity to, you know, to step into my power, right? I think that our voices, so many of us feel louder and stronger because they've been amplified by hers. And I think that's, it's an incredibly powerful feeling for me. Um, to know that we all walk in her shoes, right? That we all move forward knowing that she paved the way for so many of us. Now, I'm concerned, of course, about the likelihood of a conservative justice being appointed in her stead. Um, and I think that, you know, it seems very likely under the circumstances with all of the rhetoric and all of the reports that are coming out of the White House and elsewhere, it seems very likely that that's going to happen. And though there have been you know, sort of theories about how Democrats or um, sort of Republicans with a conscience might push back on that. Uh, I actually think that none of those things is particularly likely to occur. I, I believe right now, sitting where I am with the information that I have, that we are likely to confirm a very conservative justice. Um, and that's a concern. But I think for me, what's a bigger concern is that the Supreme Court of the United States is governed by senatorial precedent. That is that is the the primary way we would, we determine the sort of you know the the rule of law for the for SCOTUS, um, and for Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans to so eagerly so quickly go back on the precedent that the, that they set in 2016, I think for me it points to a level of corruption and a willingness to devolve into hypocrisy that is much more concerning and fundamentally just a tremendous risk for our democracy. I think what we're talking about is, you know, it is the worst fear of the, the vast majority of people in the United States of America, right? Think about all of the people who don't turn up to vote, who say that their votes don't matter, all of the people who feel disenfranchised, all of the people who feel disempowered, who have been saying for a really long time, you know, politicians are all corrupt, right? It doesn't matter. None of this matters. And what the Republicans are doing, what Mitch McConnell and his colleagues are doing right now, is they're proving them right. They are proving that our, our, our legislature, that our politicians, that politicians in the United States of America are willing to just lean into that hypocrisy, to let that hypocrisy take precedent. And I think that, for me, is the scariest piece of all of this, mm -hmm. is knowing that we are, that we're sort of demonstrating the very the very worst impulses that so many of our politicians have and the very worst fears that 
so many so many people in the United States have about politics. Danny, one of the things I keep reading about uh, in the aftermath of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, uh, when with all the articles about uh, the politicking by uh, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, etc., violating the promises they swore up and down in 2016 there's a new rule there's a new way of appointing uh, filling vacancies you would not fill a vacancy on the even of election uh, and then of course they just flip-flop uh, when it's to their advantage to fill a vacancy uh, one of the things i keep reading is that democrats didn't take seriously in 2016 the implications of the supreme court when it came to the presidential election that republicans took it much more seriously they understood the power of the courts they understood the power of the supreme court uh, to dictate to control uh, the the laws that the congress passes and even to render justice in the case of donald john trump uh do you think that's still the case that democrats don't take it seriously or do you think Democrats have finally come to understand that uh, there's some pretty important issues at stake regarding uh, judicial appointees? Yeah, I mean, I think, frankly, we are all too aware of it now. And I think, frankly, we are really behind the eight ball here. You know, the Republican Party has been thinking about the importance of the judiciary for decades. And when President Trump came into office, there were you know, hundreds of vacancies that he himself was was able to appoint via his administration. Um, that's a it's a concern, right? I think about all of the issues that are on the table, right? Everything is on the line. Women's rights, queer rights, the rights of immigrants, right? You think about the ACA or DACA, um, you know, the integrity of the courts, the definition of our democracy, all of those things are on the line as a direct result of, of um, you know, of RBG's passing and our lack of preparation and this is, you know, this isn't on any one person. It's the way that we thought about the role of the Supreme Court for far too long. The truth is that the Republican Party has thought more about the Supreme Court than I believe the Democratic Party has. And this is the situation that we're in now. The Republican Party, in my humble opinion, has also thought more about things like uh, organizing in districts like the 16th and uh, organizing in the grassroots level far more, I think, than the Democrats have. Democrats are always worried about the presidential race, always thinking about the top, don't think about the bottom. Uh, and as you know very well, Danny, from uh, try, in your efforts to build uh, your uh, organization in the 16th Congressional, uh, that's a mistake that the Democrats have made. Why don't you talk a little bit about what your campaign has done to try to build infrastructure on the local level. The last candidate ran, Sarah Dady, I believe she got into doing this off the top of my head, roughly 40, 41% of the vote against Kinsinger when she ran in 2018. What's different? What is Danny B doing uh, to build up the infrastructure? Yeah, so I want to address that. But first, I want to push back a little bit on your um, on your point that Republicans are better organized at the grassroots level than Democrats. Um, though that may be true elsewhere, that is absolutely not the case in Illinois 16. What we see here is quite the opposite. We see essentially no ground game whatsoever from the Kinzinger campaign. Certainly, he's not here in the district. We've been um, we embarked on this sort of large scale park tour, right? This is a series of meet and greets that we began, I think, four weeks ago now. Um, they are outdoors in every nook and cranny of this district, socially distant, wearing masks, allowing people to come to us so that, you know, nobody is putting themselves in a, you know, in a, in a position of high risk unnecessarily or against their will. We're not knocking doors, anything like that. Um, what we're really doing is creating these opportunities for people to come out and meet me specifically. And we're including all of our down ballot candidates throughout the district at each of those events. Um, really giving people the opportunity to get their questions asked and answered. 
Um, so I think that that is a that's a critical difference, and I think that the Kinzinger campaign is is not organizing in that way at all. Um, you know, signs don't vote, but we've got a lot more of them than he does, and I think that it's that points to. Uh, his fundamental unwillingness. And I think that there are other sort of corporate establishment Republicans like Adam Kinzinger, who, you know, this was your point earlier, Ben, they just take it for granted. You know, they make assumptions that they're that they're in safe districts, that they're in districts that were drawn for them theoretically. And, you know, that forever they'll remain until they decide they want to go take a, you know, a Raytheon lobbying job or something. Um <laughs> Here in the district, you know, we I we talk to voters all the time. So we have this huge army of volunteers. There are 400 people. We call upwards of 7,000 voters every single week on the phone. And when the pandemic required us to pivot from in-person events and door knocking to digital organizing and phone banking, we did it. And we did it without complaint and without delay. You know, we mobilized this army of volunteers and every single one of them wasn't just willing, but eager to sort of turn on a dime and ensure that we were able to address the people of this district, the voters of Illinois 16, to meet them where they are and to have conversations that are productive and meaningful for them. So we've got this meet and greet thing. We've got this, you know, these phone banks that we're doing. We're doing lots and lots of lit drops. We're organizing with county parties in a way that I feel really great about. So you may remember that I am the chair of the LaSalle County Democratic Party. And in my capacity as such, I have seen the incredible value of coordinating with other campaigns up and down the ballot. And so we've made a really concerted, really successful effort to do exactly that. That helps us, you know. And then the other thing that I would offer is that I pride myself on radical accessibility. And it's something that I think is really, really important. In fact, right before we got on this um, on this on this interview, my phone rang and I thought, well, I've got, you know, six or seven minutes, I'll take it. Um, and it was a woman calling me directly to ask for a yard sign. And the reason that's possible is because we have put out there, we have put out there this message of accessibility that voters feel comfortable calling me directly and saying, I need a yard sign. Um, you know, super honestly, I couldn't help her. I had to refer her to, you know, somebody on my field team, but um, it, it feels so good to me to know that people feel comfortable reaching out to me directly. Um, we have a process every single week where I get a report on Friday afternoons of every voter that my volunteers have spoken to who requests to speak to me directly or whom they think might benefit from a conversation with me directly. And then I call those voters every single week. They are overwhelmingly strong Republicans and they are overwhelmingly Danny voters by the time we hang up the phone. And the reason is because people value that accessibility. They value that opportunity to have a conversation with the person who's making decisions on their behalf. We have to give that to them. Yeah, no, that's just basic. That's 101 politics. And the Republican Party uh, has really deserted that, particularly their congressional candidates. And you must got uh, Kinzinger scared, Danny, because there's a debate coming up. And just the notion that an incumbent Republican would, you know, just allow himself uh, to stand on stage with the Democrat, you know, is is uh, almost incomprehensible. Talk about the debate you have one on one. Adam Kinzinger, I think it's I want to say Saturday. Do I have it right? Uh, yeah, it's coming up. Go Saturday ahead. Saturday at 9 a.m. So it's being um, being hosted by WCMY here in Ottawa. It'll be broadcast live on Facebook. I am, as I'm sure you can tell by the delight in my voice, very excited about this event. Um, I think voters have been saying for a long time that they want to see more of Kinzinger and they want to hear sort of from the horse's mouth where he is. 
And I think this is a, a really critical opportunity for us to demonstrate the very obvious differences in our platforms and our agendas. I think seeing this sort of side-by-side comparison is going to be invaluable for voters here in Illinois 16. And I'm really, really excited to give it to them. All right. uh, I look forward to that debate. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, Danny, before I let you go, by the way, Danny and I will be doing another, uh, we'll be doing an indivisible Chicago uh, event. Uh, I'll be moderating a discussion. We talk about the 16th congressional district. We're talking about uh, the election in Wisconsin. Oh my God, Danny. Uh, Donald Trump just just popped into my head just thinking about it yesterday. He he was like saying, well, I may not leave office if I don't. I mean, this guy's a lunatic. This is me talking, not Danny B. This is me talking. The man's a lunatic, MAGA. you got to acknowledge that at least. All right. Just when you wake up in the morning and being honest with yourself, the the man is 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 a lunatic. Are you going to address that during the debate? Put it to Kinzinger and talk about the, the the reluctance of Donald Trump to acknowledge that he lives in a democracy and he has to abide by the outcome of an election? Yeah, I absolutely hope so. I think it's really important. And this is another place where Kinzinger's, um, where Kinzinger's comments have been, well, I think, less strong than any of us would hope. Um, unfortunately, you know, what we're seeing in the Trump administration, I think, is this recognition that his term is likely to come to an end after this election. Um, And I think it's, you know, it's in human nature to want to cling to your power, though certainly in the case of President Trump, there is, um, there's something pretty extreme about the lengths to which he'll go to cling to that power. You know, his comments yesterday were so antithetical to the very notion of democracy. Um, It it is, it's scary, right? It's scary to imagine. And to imagine too that, you know, he has some, small but still vocal and, 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 you know, and a noisy minority of people who are out there and who steadfastly believe in Trump's agenda, um, despite the fact that it goes, it flies directly in the face of what we all understand our representative democracy to really be. I am, I'm worried about these comments and I'm worried about the sort of half-hearted attempts that Republican, Republican legislators like Adam Kinzinger have made to, and I won't even call it condemn Trump's comments because Kinzinger patently failed to do that, um, it sort of released a non-statement on the topic. So I hope that I hope that we're able to engage on this on this topic specifically on Saturday. Yes. Danny, before I let you go, why don't you spell that last name so folks can find you and tell them where they can uh, get more information about your campaign for Congress? Yeah, thanks. So the name is Danny, D-A-N-I. Last name's Drozowski, B as in boy, R-Z as in zebra, O-Z as in zebra, O-W-S as in Sam, K-I. But we've made the website much easier. It's just dannyforillinois.com. You'll find us on social media at either Danny for Illinois or Danny for Congress. It's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I will hope to see you all there. We've got tons of opportunities for engaging. We're going to flip this last remaining blue district in North, or this last remaining red district blue in Northern Illinois. I'm delighted to have you all on my side. Danny, I look forward to talking to you in about two, four, four and a half hours with the Indivisible Chicago chat. Uh, Best of luck to you and uh, talk to you real soon. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. That's Danny B. She's running for Congress in the 16th Congressional District. I think that's her. Third time on the show, D? I want to say it's her third time. Uh, I'm a big fan of Danny B. What you got for me, D, before we head out the door? Danny B. Danny <laughs> B. Danny B. Ben, bottle, please. Thank you. <laughs> Let me just say one thing before we go on. Folks, I don't pretend. Like, this is not WTTW. 
I'm not pretending. I go, let's see what Adam Ginsburg does. Okay, I'd like to work something. there in the future, so please be nice. <laughs> oh, sorry, man. Nothing wrong with WT. I can't, give me that guy in an interview, would you? For crying out loud. And be easy, too. It's not be easy. Well, we've heard from Danny B. Now let's hear from Adam Ginsburg. Okay. Let's see what he has. Let's hear his ducking and dodging on this one. You're doing it again. <laughs> oh, sorry, man. I love be easy. Anyway, so I'm pretty open about it. I think Donald Trump and the Republicans are leading us to a hellhole existence, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm really rooting for Danny B. There, I said it to you. All right, what you got for me, young man? All right, from one Danny with a crazy last name to another. Shout out to WBEZ's Dan Mielopoulos. Oh, that's my guy. Danny. That's right. That's right. Uh, let's see here. The following comes from Dan Mielopoulos and Tony Arnold at WBEZ. Uh, and this is a Madigan Gate update. All right. Uh, a special Illinois House Committee's hearings next week on the Springfield bribery scandal should begin with testimony from Executive of Commonwealth Edison, the company at the center of the federal corruption probe. This is what WBEZ has learned in a letter Thursday to the Democratic lawmaker heading the legislative inquiry, House Republican leader Jim Durkin of Western Springs said he or his lawyer, the former federal prosecutor Ron Safer, will be questioning the ComEd executives at the uh, special panel's meeting happening on Tuesday. Old Jimmy D. Jim Durkin told committee chairman Chris Welch that he will, quote, be presenting an opening statement at the committee meeting Tuesday. And he added that a representative of ComEd has confirmed the company's executives will appear at the session to testify. So next week, it get a little spicy, Ben Jarofsky. I can't wait. Look forward to it. I hope the first question he asked uh, Commonwealth Edison is, hey, Commonwealth Edison, big shot. How many Republicans voted for that rate hike? Uh, I think most of them did. <laughs> this is the funniest thing in the world. These Republicans acting like Commonwealth Edison got something special that they wouldn't have automatically got from all the Republicans. Yeah, what a bunch of frauds. Anyway, thank you, Dan uh, Mialopoulos, for that uh, breaking story. I look forward to the testimony. That would be interesting, D. And I know you and I will be talking about it next week. Oh, yeah. Plenty to talk about. I'm sure some other stuff will happen before then as well. All right. Uh, So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Yeah, that's about all we got here. Uh, I guess we're going to end it out a little early. We want to remind everybody to follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You could send us an email, BennyJShow at gmail.com. If you would like us to read your email on the program, uh, give us your name and where you're from. It's very helpful. You can lie. It could be a fake name. We won't know the (laughs) difference. All right. But seriously, it just helps, you know, uh, if you give us a name and where you're from. Uh, You can call us as well. That's right. We have a phone number, 708 Six five eight four seven eight eight. That number again, seven zero eight. I don't know what that was. Seven zero eight six five eight four seven eight eight. It was not my WBEZ voice, okay? I can promise you that. All right. Hey, I'm available for hire, guys. Please hire me. WTTW, you're right down the street. Come on, help a brother out. Give me an interview. WFMT, come on, let's talk. Uh, and I think that's about it, Ben. Anything you would like to. Oh, also, we want to remind everybody to uh, check out our interview last night that we dropped with Meredith Shiner. All oh, yeah. things POTUS uh, election talk with Meredith Shiner. Ben, give these people a reason to download uh, that. I, I urge everybody to check out that interview if you haven't already. Meredith Shiner has come on the show a few times. Uh, she, for many years, was uh, 
correspondent for political covering uh, the capitals, covered the Senate, covered the House of Representatives, covered the Supreme Court. And she really knows like how the game is played in Washington. And now uh, she just does not hold back. Uh, she's analyzing what McConnell is up to. And what she gets at, she raises a lot of issues. The notion that Joe Biden clings to, that there is still some a bipartisan spirit on the part of national Republicans, uh, it's, it's a delusion. And she breaks that down and she talks about uh, the, the, the issue of the filibuster and how Mitch McConnell used the filibuster and how uh, Harry Reid attempted to match Mitch McConnell and how Democrats are so foolish. They criticize Harry Reid for what he did. I mean, she really gets into the weeds. So if you really want to know what's going on in Washington and uh, the games being played, I urge everybody to check it out. And then also we talked to you about the issues at stake uh, if with a new justice, if a new justice gets appointed, and I presume it will happen. Remember something Meredith said uh, that got me to change my tune. I thought it would be a lame duck vote uh, that McConnell would wait until after the election. But uh, uh, Meredith says, no, in her humble opinion, it will be before the election uh, that Mitch McConnell uh, just wants to get it out of the way. Uh, so um, that's it. We'll see who's right about that one. That's her prediction. I mean, I'm still sticking to the lame duck thing just for the hell of it. But Meredith Shannon really knows her stuff. And uh, I felt as though, D, I learned a lot from listening to it. So I urge everybody, uh, when you're done listening to this, check out Meredith Shiner's interview, which we dropped last night about 7 o'clock. She is no lame duck. You can download that at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Also, okay, uh, just a little sneak ahead. preview, sneak preview yes. here this weekend. Uh, yes. Well, the Chicago Bulls recently made some news. They hired a new head coach, so I allowed our host to talk about it. <laughs> I begged them. Oh, my God, you should have seen it. Please, D. No, no, I'm not going to let you do it. All right. And then he went out and he got some chicken. He was feeling a little better after he ate the chicken. So he called me up because, you know, all right, I'll let you do it. But just this once. Uh, so that's how it works, man. You chicken. Know, chicken and he's he's a different guy. I'm telling you. Cool. Loves that chicken, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so I think, thank you, Dr. D. And they immediately, oh my God, I was so excited. I, I reached out to Joey Cowley, Joe Cowley, uh, Chicago Sun-Times, Bulls beat writer. that comes on the show from time to time. He said he would come on. We're going to do the interview tomorrow. And I was so excited. I called. <laughs> that is like, he's dealt with me all day. Did a show with me. Did a pre-show. A lot of pre-show prep with the Ben Jarowski show. So much. You know, he's sitting at home, eating chicken, Watching TV, not smoking a doobie because he quit, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and uh, so uh, all of a sudden he gets a call from me. He's like, all right, what does this guy want? D, D, I got Joey C. <laughs> He's like, oh, that's really interesting. I think I'm happy for you, man. I'm like, Joey B? And you're like, no, Joey C. Like, all right, Joey C will work. Looking for Joey B, but Joey <laughs> Joe, C's awesome. Could you imagine Joe Biden coming on this show? Ben, uh, uh, come on, man. I'm like, man, who is who? I wouldn't be able to tell you guys apart. <laughs> Joe Biden. I'd be like, come on, man. Ben? <laughs> no, that's Joe Biden, D. Oh. There's a difference. Come on, D. <laughs> anyway, Joe Colley got a lot to say. We'll be talking about Billy Ball, Billy Donovan. Now, you know what? 
I guess I say this, Steve, there's quite a few basketball fans. I take a look at the numbers. We do those basketball shows. You'd be surprised how many people tune in for those. So uh, looking forward to that. Joe Colley, uh, he comes hard at the Bulls. He's covered them hard. But I think even Joe Colley is excited about uh, Billy Donovan's uh, hiring. And, folks, we all need a little, just a little break from the madness of our time. So Joe Colley, really looking for that interview, which we'll drop probably on Saturday. Bulls writer Joe Colley, be on the lookout for that. Looks like we're getting some requests on the line. Live stream chat. All right, Radio Doogie, I'll play it. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. That one goes out to Radio Doogie. <laughs> D, make sure kids hear words. Never forget that, all right? Kids got to hear words. You can't just hear non words. You can't hear just letters. It's got to be words. Hey, D, get that right, all right? Come on, man. I'm voting for him, D. Can't wait. Vote for him. Yes, indeed. Well, if you can't vote wait, vote D. now. Vote online because you can now vote in Illinois, everybody. Well, I, I want to go to, you know, the United Center. I don't know where I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote somewhere. I'm going to vote soon for Joey B. Anyway, I want to uh, thank Danny B. Uh, for a great interview. She's running for Congress in the 16th Congressional District, and I'll be talking to her later today on the Indivisible uh, Chicago uh, Zoom conference call. And, of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all in Illinois. Good luck on that Zoom call with Ben, guys. He's going to be a pain in your ass. How do I do this? Yeah, and not only that, I'm like, oh, man, do I gotta? Can't we just do Google Meet? They're like, oh, Ben, uh, just... (laughs) Oh my God, how does Dennis put up with this guy? <laughs> no, you're right, D. I'm already like in a panic over the Zoom. I can't stand Zoom. People love Zoom. Anyway, I'm sure it'll work out. My wife has promised to help me with it. Where was I? Oh, yes. I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Back home on Alton, as Danny B would tell you. Danny B, Joe Cowley, Billy Ball Donovan, they all agree. Back home on Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Play the radio. Play the radio. Play the radio. Play the radio. We said it's time to bring in the light. And it's sure shining on all of us tonight. Let it shine. Play the radio. Let it shine. Let it shine. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, The phone, make sure the kids hear words.